0: The data says that nearly 20 people are physically abused by an intimate partner in the United States every 60 seconds. Over the course of a year, that's more than 10 million women and men. Today's guest shares her own story of trauma, survival, and advocacy. She's Ruth M. Glenn this week on Story in the Public Square. Hello and welcome to Story in the Public Square, where storytelling meets public affairs. I'm Jim Lutis from the Pell Center at Salve Regina University.
1: And I'm G-Wayne Miller, also with the Pell Center at Salve Regina University.
0: This week we're joined by Ruth M. Glenn, the CEO and President of the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence and the author of a powerful new book, Everything I Never Dreamed, My Life Surviving and Standing Up to Domestic Violence. She joins us today from Colorado. Ruth, thank you so much for being with us.
2: Thank you so much.
0: And congratulations on the book. This is a a powerful and personal account uh, of surviving domestic violence. Why did you decide to tell your story?
2: Um, I've told my story for um, well over 28, 29 years. Um, Usually to civic groups and academia and uh, such. Um, particularly around criminal justice and women's studies and at risk youth. Um, and during that time, many times someone said to me, You know, you should write a book. And I thought, Okay. Uh, long story short, I appeared on television for the Democratic National Committee way back in um, uh, 2020. And uh, uh, a publisher reached out and said, the publisher, publisher reached out and said, um, we think you have a story. And I said, well, that's funny because everybody thinks I have a story. <laughs> so um, two years later, um, here we are, a published book.
0: Well, I, you know, it's a, it is really a powerful uh, narrative for the benefit of the audience who maybe hasn't read it yet. Could you tell us a little bit about your story?
2: Um, Absolutely. And and in relation to the book, um, you know, we started out as a memoir because we thought that that would, you know, be the the meat and potatoes of it. And and the publisher expressed that there was a lot of um, items and things that we could discuss in there. Um, But as we kind of morphed in the book, we understood that there was so much more than my story. Um, I was not unlike other victims of domestic violence, even though I was very different. Um, and so we took this opportunity to also explore the dynamics of domestic violence and helping people understand why it's so important that we talk about it. Um, I think that when people um, see me, especially at this part of my life and my career and my experiences, um, they, they have no idea uh, uh, the domestic violence I've been through, or the childhood that I've been through and those types of things. My hope in writing this book was that um, other survivors and victims of domestic violence, no matter whether they're women or men, no matter whether they're in um, uh, same-sex relationships or any other type of relationship in which they have proximity to somebody that claims to care about them, was to offer them hope. Um, Everything I never dreamed was um, uh, a homage to my mom, who towards the end of her life said, I just, you're everything I never dreamed, um, because she saw what I had went through in the earlier part of my life, and then eventually, just figuring it out. Um, so, yeah, it was. Uh, there were thirteen. I was married to this, this man for thirteen years, and most of that marriage, all of that marriage, was abusive in one way or another.
1: So, Ruth, we're going to get into the issues that you raise in your incredible book but it is part memoir and again for those in the audience who haven't read it can you give a little bit more of your story this relationship that you were involved in and what ultimately happened
2: yes um so um I met this man when I was 16 um I came from a home that was filled with violence and dysfunction dysfunction And I I literally thought this this person was going to save, fix it for me, not save me, but fix it for me. Uh, We got married when I was 19. I had my child when I was 16 um, and the list goes on and on. And we eventually married uh, when I was 19. And um, I remember one or two weeks after the wedding, um, waking up on the floor bleeding and someone pulling me out of the apartment. Um, he had beat me up pretty good. And from that day forward, um, there were years of, of domestic violence. And I'm going to be very clear here that it wasn't always physical. Um, there were certainly a lot of emotional abuse in regards to how I looked, how I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't a good mom. I mean, the list goes on and on of the types of abuse that that he um, perpetrated against me. But I remember at one key point in my life, um, someone said to me, it was a supervisor of mine, she said, um, and the details of that are in the book, but she said, you know, something's not right. And I want you to know I'm here for you. And it was the first time anyone ever used the words domestic violence or violence against you, you know, you're experiencing violence. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness. Not really. Um, and I'm here to tell you that it wasn't until two, two and a half years later that I actually left. Um, and it was really, um, more about that person planting a seed and me understanding that I wasn't living my true self. Um, I, I love education and I love humor and all of those things. And, and the real me was being suppressed by this violence in our home. Um, and then eventually, you know, I, I am very grateful because a lot of survivors do not have this kind of support, but I was working for the state of Colorado at the time. They kept me in my job and really made accommodations for me so that I could be safe. Um, it didn't prevent me from being kidnapped and or shot and, and left for dead, um, but I was able to come from that and and continue to work. And I can't tell you how many victims and survivors have had to change their entire lives to be safe. So I'm very grateful for that. And I just decided a couple years after that, that I would um, make my mark, so to speak. Um, someone asked me uh, when I went to volunteer for domestic violence, they said, Ruth, why don't you tell your story? And I said, no way, I can't do that. I've never stopped since then
1: so Ruth some people sometimes say if if a person is in an abusive relationship why don't they just leave how do you answer that question it's not that simple. There's, there's
2: two ways and thank you so much for bringing that up Wayne if I told you all of the things that I have to think about me not every survivor because every survivor is different I had to think about where my son would go to school. I had to think about would I be able to keep my job? What about our combined cars? We were living a very nice life, comfortable life. Uh, We were quote unquote middle class. Um, We had two cars and uh, you know, uh, I challenge all of us to think about someone tells you the only way that things are going to change is if you immediately change. I challenge all of us to think about what we would feel like if somebody came to you and said, "Here's your suitcase. Uh, here's your suitcase. Now you can leave." Secondly, I always challenge people to think about: so why is it the responsibility of the victim to leave? Why aren't we talking about why the person is hurting? Um, and we could we could talk forever about the dynamics of both of those, uh, but that's how I respond. Don't don't be so quick to say, why don't you leave when you don't understand the barriers that that person might be facing.
0: Ruth, I, w- I wonder, can you shed some light on, uh, so you, you describe in your book very powerfully uh, the effect of the, both the emotional abuse and the physical abuse on you. In a, in a more abstract sense, what happens to a victim? uh, in that circumstance to their sense of self, to their sense of, uh, worth, what happens to the victim who's the, who's, who's subjected to that kind of abuse over years?
2: That's a great question because I don't think we talk about that enough either. You lose yourself. You don't become, um, you become beholden, so to speak. I'll find the correct word in a moment, but everything about your being sort of goes away. You know, even, um, your ability to, to be safe, you know, how do I be safe? It's not just cowering in the corner, putting the hands over my head. So I don't feel the blows, right? It's more about how do I predict what's going to happen? I don't know, um, batterers and those that hurt others are not predictable. So they keep you unbalanced all the time. Um. And then when you add on the trauma to all of that, um, I'll, I'll share with you all that I still go to therapy every once in a while because the PTSD takes place and I begin to lose, something happens, right? Where I go, wait a minute, this isn't how it's supposed to be or, or that kind of thing. The ramifications are lifelong, emotionally, uh, trauma, and even physically, I found out Four or five months ago, or four or five years ago, uh, my doctor said, have you been in a terrible car accident? And I said, no. Um, and they had to do two surgeries on my back from when I was thrown against the wall. That's 30 something years later. And I say that so that we understand the long-term impact, right? Um, I feel depressed with who I am right now, um, but to say that I am not experiencing any of those long-term impacts uh, would not be honest.
0: We need to take a quick moment for station identification. This is Story in the Public Square, where storytelling meets public affairs. An audio version of this show can be heard multiple times every weekend on Sirius XM Satellite Radio's popular Politics of the United States. That's the POTUS channel, number 124. We produce Story in the Public Square with a great crew at Rhode Island PBS, and we're lucky to work with them. I'm Jim Lutus. On most days, you can find me running the Pell Center at Salve Regina University in beautiful Newport, Rhode Island. If you want to connect with me on Twitter, you can do so at J.M. And joining me as he does every week in the co-host chair is my friend, G. Wayne Miller, who is an award-winning journalist and the author of 20 books. You can find Wayne on Twitter, too, at G. Wayne Miller. And our guest this week is Ruth Glenn. CEO and President of the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. She's also a survivor and writes about her life in a powerful new memoir, Everything I Never Dreamed, My Life Surviving and Standing Up to Domestic Violence. You can follow Ruth on Twitter at Ruth M. Glenn. And if you're listening and you need help, you can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 800-799-7233. Again, that's 800 799 seven two three three or just text the word start to eight eight seven eight eight again you can text the word start to eight eight seven eight eight
1: so you mentioned that you still sometimes uh, see a therapist what other interventions or professional help can people who have been victims turn to
2: so i want to make something clear when a victim is in crisis, in other words, they're trying to get that immediate help and trying to figure out their immediate life, um, it is certainly um, n- not therapy that they need. They need an advocate to help them navigate all the things that they have to think about to be safe. Um, those are available at the community domestic violence programs, or you can call the national hotline or whatever, whatever that takes is immediate crisis. Uh, community domestic violence programs are awesome at making sure that the victim is safety, uh, that, that their safety is first, right? They they do what they call a safety plan, and then they go from there figuring out how to best make sure that this person is not gonna be hurt or is at minimum safe, right? Um, and then later on is when you begin to experience, I, I discovered this in my journey, of, Later on is when I began to experience trauma and forgetting things that I should have remembered and um, jumping at the slightest noises and uh, smelling gunpowder in my car, um, which blew me away because I thought, what is happening right now? Those are the types of things, those long-term impacts are the types of things that we encourage victims and survivors to get support with.
0: Ruth, this is probably a good chance for us to mention the National Domestic Violence Hotline. If somebody in our audience needs help, they can call 1-800-799-7233, or they can simply text the word START to 88788. Um, How extensive, uh, how how pervasive a problem is domestic violence in the United States right now?
2: You know, um and... as someone coined the phrase probably about six years ago, that is a public health crisis. I totally agree with that. I have stats and uh, you know, we, there are stats and stats and stats and stats. What I'm, I'm most concerned about is the increase in lethal- lethality of domestic violence. And by that, I mean, um, particularly women um, who are dying as a result of domestic violence. The lethality uh, from our perspective has really jumped. Um, we are very aware of the millions of people every year um, who are experiencing domestic domestic violence. We're not talking about the impacts on communities. We're not talking about the dynamics of domestic violence. We're not talking about why doesn't they, don't they leave. We're not talking about what causes somebody to do this to somebody else the need for power and control. Why is that so strong in that person? Uh, We're not talking about um, how we need to uh, make sure that every victim's needs are met, particularly when they've finally been empowered to say, I need to go and I need to do it as safely as possible. Um, So how do we have those conversations? Um, I'm a firm believer that Um, until we talk about it. You know, someone used the example of Mad, right? Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Took years. Um, We're still floundering in that. So when do we get to the same place that Mothers Against Drunk Driving is, um, where we hold abusive persons accountable, where we make it more safe for victims and survivors to leave? Um, I don't know. Um, But we just don't talk about it enough and it is a public health crisis.
1: when we talk about the data for domestic violence, it's very different than other public health and, and health data. For example, hospital admissions are monitored very carefully and reported to public health agencies. Not the case here because much of this is self-reporting and many people are too scared to even yeah. talk about it or mention. Do you have any sense of, how, of the reality on the ground given that this is a very different way to, or cannot be measured the way other crises and issues can be.
2: Oh, thank you again for bringing that up because it's really important. Um, we all know that we're in a society that relies on data, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> to make
2: any kind of change, the first thing we say is data. Um, this is a population that you cannot get data from. Um, it's confidential services when, and if they do, re- uh, re- um, so the, the ability to get data, good data like that is, um, very, very difficult. We do have some data about violence that has been perpetrated, but as well after the violence, right? Um, if you go to a community domestic violence program, uh, they can't report anything but aggregate numbers. That's not a reflection of what's happening. And I challenge us to think if we're talking about the other issue, which is those that hurt others, um, how many um, persons that are hurting someone else are coming forward and saying, you know, here's my data. None, absolutely none. Um, It it, it seems
1: to me there's another factor here too, and that, that would be regional differences. There are parts of the country where there are good programs, where people can be trusted, where people might be more willing to, to share or, or to say that they, they are being victimized, and there are other parts of the country where that would not be the case, I'm guessing. Can you talk, is there a regional difference in terms of reporting? You know,
2: I, I wouldn't say that necessarily, particularly talking about um, victims getting services. Those are SOP, for the most part, standard operating procedure, and community domestic violence programs have their own system within. What I will say is across jurisdictions when it comes to criminal and civil law, you are darn right. It is all over the place um, and, and uh, all over the place. And you never know how you're gonna be responded to criminally or civilly. Um, that's also the fear about coming forward, right? I don't know a lot about the system. Now I'm in what I think might be a safe place, but now I gotta go to court because he's been charged with domestic violence or she wants the kids or, you know, so now what do I do? And that is not an SOP in each jurisdiction. That's different everywhere you go. Hopefully the advocates are trained enough, even though they're already overwhelmed in helping a victim or survivor understand that system that they're, that other system that they must endure. You
0: know, Ruth. As I read your book, I was struck that this was not just a story of uh, domestic violence. This was a story of surviving and survivorship. Uh, and I think that's a really important point uh, for 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 people who are out there. What what was it that enabled you to finally get out of that situation and survive? And what kind of lessons are there for others? So, um, there's a couple
2: things. I'm. I'm I'm a firm believer in resilience. I think a lot of us have it. Some of us don't. Um, and I believe very firmly I was born with that. I know it sounds really strange, but I believe I was born with that. And I think for a while, he had taken that away from me, right? There was something that, that it took that resilience away from me. I want people to understand that as they're talking to who they think might be victims and and survivors, that they say to them, I think something's going on. I think I might be able to help you when and if you need to. And let me know. Um, We we shouldn't be comfortable with with confronting a victim and saying, I know that you've been experiencing domestic violence, I don't think that's appropriate. You just let them know that you're a safe person. That's what that person did for me. She let me know she was a safe person. Um, Secondly, um, I tell people all the time, it wasn't like I flipped a switch overnight and things just happened. It was a haul. It was a real haul. Um, Those first two, three, four or five years were very difficult. I spent many days crying. I spent many days depressed, um, but constantly thinking what was this all for? What 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 did this mean? And um I just eventually understood, particularly when that person said you should tell your story. Um I believed that it sounds so corny, but I believed that this happened to me for a reason and anything I can do to help us as a society and a culture understand about domestic violence. Um I made up my mind I was going to do. I'm imperfect by the way. I know you find that hard to believe, but I am imperfect.
0: We and, do find uh, that hard I to believe.
2: Have, <laughs> yeah, we do.
1: <laughs> I
2: have down days. You know, um, I told somebody the other day, I said, they said, what are you going to do on your vacation? I said, curl in a fetal position <laughs> for just one day. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs>
1: yeah, that definitely. So, yes.
2: Well, just really having open dialogue and, and, And recognizing when someone might be going, you'll notice, you'll see the change and letting them know that you're there. And by the way, if you're going to be there and you open that door, please make sure you have the resources that they might need. The hotline number, the local community domestic violence program, helping them uh, develop a safety plan, which is I'm gonna flip my porch light three times. That means get your buns over here because something bad is happening. It could be that simple.
1: So, Ruth, you've talked here on the show about ways to, you just did, as a matter of fact, uh, uh, to better serve victims and survivors. And in the book, you get into even more of them. Deterrence is one of those, and we haven't really hit on that during this this show here. Talk about the importance of deterrence and actually what that means.
2: So um, we can call it deterrence. We can call it prevention. But um, what I like to think is that Well, not what I like to think. We have two ways of dealing with domestic violence currently as a society. When we are talking about it and we're trying to put those things in place, we have interventions and um, we have policy, right? My concern is that we don't do enough about prevention and deterrence. And by that, I mean, why aren't we having the conversations as young as we can about respectful relationships. You know, it's not just, and I agree that we we can talk about healthy relationships. That's not at all what I'm saying. But I think if we talk about respectful and healthy relationships, and even talk about what is it that you're feeling when you wanna hurt someone? So let's talk about your power and control. Where do you think that comes from? Um, our society wants to do intervention. We wanna save people. And we don't understand that sometimes that takes going way back here, so that they never experience that as a victim or a, a person that hurts someone else, a batterer. So what are we doing about that? I would challenge us to say we're not, we're not doing nearly enough. Um, the funds that we get in this field, very much des- designated and uh, delivered for interventions and even that's not enough. So when you go to to uh, your lawmakers and say, we need more money for prevention, they go, yeah, no, that's not gonna happen. Yeah. Um, and they all have their reasons, but when are we gonna say, let's stop this before it even starts. Um, talking to those who might be potential victims, we don't know that they're gonna be victims, but what do we do to help people understand uh, that they don't have to lose themselves to another person. They don't have to subject themselves or, or um, experience power and control for some, from someone else.
0: Yeah, you know, Ruth, we've got a little bit more than a minute left here. I want to uh, maybe change the focus just a little bit and talk about bystanders. Uh, you've you've mentioned already this woman uh, who let you know that she was uh, that she was that she was there to help uh, but there was a line in the prologue of the book that lingered with me as I read it, and this was as your abuser was forcing you to drive from somewhere at gunpoint, the thought going through your head was and I'm quoting here, does anybody see me? How can I get them to see me? What should bystanders be looking for
2: um I wrote that line and it still grabs me. (laughs) Um, I I would say it it is hard to be um, an interrupter, right? Very difficult. You don't want to get in other people's business. You don't know what's going on. They may have a weapon. I mean, the list goes on and on. I would challenge us to think there is nothing wrong with saying to both parties, both parties, is there something I can do to help? it seems like there's something going on here what can i do to help it puts the the abusive person off guard right um and it lets the victim know that somebody has seen this sometimes that's all you need is somebody has seen this and they understand that this is not good um i have you know we don't trust our instincts enough trust our instincts if we think that there's something going on it's okay to be embarrassed in a few minutes because you got it wrong, but say, is there something here that I can help with? Um, and help and help that person. I think that that goes a long way.
0: Well, Ruth, your book is a tremendous tribute, and we're so grateful to you for sharing with it. We want to share one more time. The National Domestic Violence Hotline is 1-800-799-7233. Again, 800-799-7233. Or you can text START, the word START, to 888. 88- 788 again the word start to 88788 the book is everything i never dreamed she's ruth glenn thank you so much for being with us that is all the time we have this week but if you want to know more you can find us on facebook and twitter uh, he's wayne i'm jim asking you to join us again next time for more story in the public square